0: George Barna surveyed thousands of churchgoers, church-going Christians, and he asked them a question. The question was, have you ever experienced God in a worship service? That was the question. Thousands of church-going Christians, have you ever experienced God in a worship service? Only one-third said that they regularly experience God in worship. Which means two-thirds of the people said they do not experience God in worship at church. Two-thirds. William Hendricks wrote a book called Exit Interviews. It's about why today's younger generation is leaving the church. He summarizes the views of many of those young worship dropouts this way. And I quote, he said, Perhaps the most common complaint was that worship services were boring. They were not worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. Let me summarize what these folks are saying. When worship services are not worshipful, when people are not meeting God, then church loses much of its appeal. When people are not meeting God, church loses much of its appeal. You see, the missing ingredient in worship is sometimes God. The missing ingredient is, in worship is sometimes the God we are there to worship. So today we're going to go back to the basics and see what it means to have a true, life-changing encounter with the living God. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 100. I'm going to begin by asking a very basic question that we will find the answer to in this text. But the very basic question I want to ask today is this, what is worship? While you're turning to that, let me give you a working definition. You see, when you mention the word worship, it conjures up all kinds of images in our minds. And many times when you think about the word worship, we think in terms of music. We think, think in terms of styles of music. But simply stated, worship is declaring the worth of God. That's what worship is. So when we declare the worth of God, the word worship comes from the old English word that means worth-ship. The goal of worship is not what we get out of it. Understand that. We are declaring the worth of God. The the goal of worship is not what we get out of it, but rather the goal is to give God the honor and the glory and the praise that is due Him and to recognize His worth, His place in our church, and His place in our lives. That's worship. You see, worship is not a weekly pep talk where we feel better about ourselves. Worship is not a motivational seminar where we rally the troops. Worship is not even really about the music that much. Worship is an intimate, personal meeting between God and His people. That's what worship is. But the irony is that the worship is not for us. The worship is not for us when we truly encounter God in worship. We do benefit from it. We experience A glimpse of His greatness. We experience a glimpse of His awesomeness and the wonder and the power and the mercy and the goodness and the loving kindness that is God as we worship. When we worship Him and the worship is for Him and when we express our worship towards Him, we get the benefit of that. And that is what we're all desperately longing for, isn't it? That's the kind of encounter we all desperately need. That's the missing ingredient too often in our lives. And in our church. The writer of Psalm 100 invites us to join him in declaring the worth of God. And in declaring the worth of God, we encounter his presence through our worship. I want to ask you to stand today and honor God's word as we read Psalm 100. Follow along as I read the entire psalm. It's just five verses. Follow along as I read. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Amen. Would you be seated? Today I want to give you two vital lessons on worship. Vital lessons that come right out of this text. I would ask you to write these down somewhere because I hope that you're going to wrestle with this a little bit. I hope that you're going to remember this for a while. Two vital lessons that help us understand, comprehend, and perhaps implement more into our lives the concept of worship. Here's the first one. Worship is to the Lord and for the Lord. Worship is to the Lord and for the Lord. I want you to look again at the text, verses 1 and 2 and verse 4, if you're taking notes. Shout for joy to the Lord. You might want to underline that. To the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. It is so evident, as the psalmist was writing, that he had the proper perspective of worship, that worship is to the Lord and worship is for the Lord. Now, the reason I bring that up is because sometimes I hear people say something like this. Well, you know what? I I just didn't get much out of worship today. I, 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 you know... I don't know what it is. I, I I just didn't get much out of worship today. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I just need to try somewhere else. I'm I just not getting very much out of worship. Now listen to my heart. That is evidence of the consumer mentality we have in the American church today. That we somehow think worship is for us. That we somehow have convinced ourselves that we are the consumer and you are to please me and placate me and help me and, and it's all about us that we wrongly view worship as something for our benefit. Ladies and gentlemen, that concept is foreign to Scripture. In fact, when Isaiah worshiped the Lord and he encountered God in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah didn't say, oh, I didn't get much out of worship today. When Isaiah encountered God in Isaiah chapter 6, this is what Isaiah said. Woe to me, for I am ruined, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He encountered God. Now let me be as clear and as direct as I possibly can, hopefully with the heart of, of love, but let me be as clear and, and, and as direct as I possibly can. Ladies and gentlemen, worship is not for you, it is not to you, it is not about you. It is to God, it is for God, it is about God. It's so clear in the text, just verse 1 is one example. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth, worship the lord with gladness come before him with joyful singing it, it is all about him it is for him it is to him and notice he says shout for joy uh, and come before him with or, or shout for joy to the lord all the earth You know what he's saying? He said, listen, I want everybody involved in this. I want everybody because he is worthy of everybody's praise. He is worthy of everybody's worship. So the psalmist was writing in such a way that he said, there's not a person on the planet who should be silent. There's not a person on the planet that ought to be sitting there still and not doing anything. We all ought to be sharing our voices together in praise to God. Now, not everybody's going to do that, of course, because not everybody's a Christian right now, but one day, everybody will bow their knee. Everybody will give worship to the Lord God. But until that time comes, at least God's people ought to. Amen? But please, I know this is so simple, but it's so profound. Please notice the direction of praise. The direction of praise is to God Himself. We're not making a noise to impress the people around us. We're not up here singing just to make everybody feel good and say, boy, didn't the choir sound good today? Didn't you enjoy the praise team? Didn't you like that song that we sang? The actual direction of our worship is to God Himself. Worship the Lord, the Bible says. The psalm, this psalm, was many scholars believe, was was probably sung outside the temple. As they were preparing to enter into the holy place called the temple, this psalm was sung by the worshipers. Look in verse 4, it gives us that hint. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. If If you forget everything I say today, I hope you'll remember this one thing about worship. Worship is to the Lord and it is for the Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to understand about worship. Worship is primarily A heart response. It is primarily a heart response. In verse 2, here's what he says. He says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with what kind of songs? Joyful songs. Now, if you have the King James Version, it does not say worship the Lord. In the King James Version, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It's interesting as I studied that Hebrew word because in some places it's translated worship and in some places it's translated as serve. And I thought, well, that, that is kind of a strange combination. But, but the more I've looked at it, the more i learned that it's, it's really two sides of the same coin. That Hebrew word can be translated either way. It can be translated serve. It can be translated worship. And here's what it's trying to teach us. The psalmist chose that word deliberately to say this to us. The best way, the highest form of serving God is is to worship Him. The highest way that you serve God. There's, there's many ways to serve God, but the highest way to serve God is to worship Him. So the psalmist used that word deliberately. And notice he says, here's how you do it. He says in verse 1, Shout to joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. That's a heart response. Come before Him with joyful songs. That is a heart response. Worship is our response to God. Now, please note that that He says that you ought to do this with a certain kind of songs. With joyful songs. Our songs are not intended to create gladness, but our songs are intended to express the gladness that's in our heart. Worship Him with joyful songs. It's not like you come here and say, Boy, I sure hope they, they bring it today because I need it bad. I, I sure hope the choir's got something today because, Boy, I'll tell you what, I need something. Come on, come on now, help me, help me. Come on, choir, give me some. Come on, praise team, come on, help me here. And that's not what, what He's talking about here. You know what He's talking about? He's talking about that there's something in your heart already when you come here. There's something in your heart that has to come out. Our songs are not intended to create worship in you. Our songs are intended to allow you to express worship. Did you know that there are 575 references to praise, to singing, and music in the Bible? And in the middle of your Bible, there's a book there that has 150 songs in it. There's a hymnal in the middle of your Bible called Psalms. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, music plays an important role in worship and, in, and singing has an important place in our worship and, and in the worship in the Bible. But listen to this, the danger, are you listening? The danger for many Christians is that instead of worshiping God, we worship our music. Instead of worshiping God, we worship our music. and You know, we want it our style and our way and our songs. And and, and and it's just, this is the way we like the music. We worship our music. Now, music is a vehicle. It stirs the emotions and it, it expresses our heart. But listen to me, music by itself is not worship. I can prove that to you. You can sing all day long. I don't care what kind of songs you sing. I I don't care if it's hymns or if it's praise team. It really doesn't matter. You can sing all day long and never encounter God. You can sing all day long and never have an encounter, a worshipful encounter with God. Music does not guarantee worship. John MacArthur said it better than I could. He said music cannot assist or express... I'm sorry, let me try again. Music can assist or express a worshiping heart, but it cannot make a non-worshiping heart into a worshiping one. It's a good word. The crucial factor in worship in the church is not the style of music. The crucial factor is the state of our hearts. Status of our hearts determines whether or not we really have come to worship. So if you think you can live any way that you want to through the week and then come on Sunday morning and flip on a switch and worship, you're wrong. You're wrong. Worship is primarily a heart response. And it's primarily a heart response to two things. I want to show you what they are. It's right here in the text. It's primarily a heart response, first of all, to who God is. In verse 3 and verse 5, he says, Know that the Lord is God. I want you to know this by experience. Know that the Lord is God is God. Look at verse 5. For the Lord, here's what else the Lord is. The Lord is what, church? The Lord is good, and His love endures how long? And His faithfulness continues through all generations. Worship is primarily a heart response to who God is, but it's also a heart response to who we are. He says it right there in the text, second part of verse 3. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. I'm going to tell you something. Only those who are His can worship Him. Otherwise, you've got nothing to worship. You've got no one to worship. You've got no reason to worship. But those who belong to Him have someone to worship. And they have a reason to worship. We worship because it's a heart response, because of who He is, and because of who we are. We are His. Come on now. You got an amen in there somewhere? We're his. I read this week about an unforgettable moment that John Huffman had with his daughter. Don had been away from home for several weeks on a mission trip and when the plane landed he could hardly wait to see his wife and his four children and I, I know that feeling and and he was anxious to get out to the waiting area and to see his family and but it took two hours to go through customs and He finally, finally made it through customs when he got there as he was proceeding out to the big area. There was hundreds of people there, you know, waiting for everybody from all the other planes. And and he thought, I'm never going to find my family here. If I do, I'm not really going to be able to pick them up and hug on them. And we're going to have to get away from this crowd before we can really, you know, kind of embrace each other. And I'm going to read you what he said. I'm just going to read what he wrote. He said there was Such a press of bodies, I knew I would not be able to pick my children out until I walked up the ramp past security and got into the open. But my three-year-old daughter, who had managed to squeeze her way to the front of the crowd, began screaming at the top of her lungs, Daddy! Daddy! That's my daddy! She must have shouted that at least five times when suddenly she broke free from the crowd, bolted past the security guard, still yelling, Daddy! Daddy! That's my daddy! Daddy! She literally flew into my arms, and began kissing and hugging me. What a welcome. I have never felt so loved and acknowledged in my life. It was a wonderful, fulfilling moment that even today brings a warm, happy feeling. And then he said, that is what God feels when we acknowledge Him in worship. I think he's probably right. Because worship is intended to be a heart response. Worship is intended to be a heart response. Not just something we do on Sunday morning because it's Sunday morning. But a heart response. So I've got, a question, I've got a question today. How can we improve our worship? What can we do when the one who doesn't show up for worship is God? How do you improve when God doesn't seem to show up for worship? I'm going to give you three things that I think are practical suggestions and it's based on the text. Three things that I believe if you'll try to put these into practice and uh, it will improve the way you worship. Number one, engage your heart and not just your head. Engage your heart and not just your head. And, and there's a very clear way to discern if you've just engaged your head. One of the sure signs that, you just, that it's just your head engaged in worship is when you come here and you're content just to be in the service. You're content to sit there, to look straight ahead, content to leave when the service is over, content to endure, content with the mundane, content with a nice service, content if the choir sang okay, content if if the pastor did okay, and then exit the same way that you came in. You're unmoved, you're unchanged, unaltered, and happy to return next week and do it all over again. Your head, perhaps, is engaged. You're reading the words on the screen. You're singing the words on your screen. Your, your head is engaged. But probably not your heart. Worship does not begin up here. Worship begins down here. Engage your heart. Not just your head. And If we had the time we could look at how the psalmist over and over talked about those heart things. And I've already alluded to that. So let me go into to the second practical suggestion. Focus more on God and less on you. If you want to make your worship more worshipful, if you want to make it real, if you want to have an encounter with the living God, focus more on God and less on you. James McDonald, I've been reading a book called Vertical or Vertical Church. James McDonald said, Worship is the magnification of God and the minimization of self. More of God. Less of me. I'm, I'm going to focus today, when, when you come to worship, try to do this. When you come to worship, say, you know, today, I, I know I've got all these problems, and I've got all these unpaid bills, and I've got all the, the marriage issues, or the family issues, or whatever it is. But, but right now, it's more of God and less of me. I'm going to focus more on God and less on me. I know my heart is breaking. I know I'm, I'm burdened. I know I've got this, whatever it is. I've got this grief. I've got this guilt, whatever it is. But when I come to this place on the Sunday morning, I'm going to focus more on God, less on me. More on God, less on me. More on God, less on me. And if you'll deliberately, intentionally try to focus more on God, less on you, I believe you have a greater chance to really worship. Number three, express your thanksgiving and your praise when you come to worship. When you come to worship, I'm not talking about you, you're, you're standing and you're just singing whatever's on the screen. But I'm talking about expressing your thanksgiving and your praise. And I, and I will take the time just to read this in, in the text. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, let, let me help you understand what it means when you express praise and when you express thanksgiving. Let me show you the difference. You praise God for who He is. Praise God for who He is. You thank God for what He's done. That's the difference. Praise God for who He is. He's Lord, He's God, He's Creator, He's Shepherd. He's all of those things that the psalmist wrote about. You praise God for who He is. You thank God for what He's done. All of us can do this when we come here on Sunday morning or on Sunday night or whenever you come together for corporate worship. You can praise God for who He is, regardless of the kind of week that you've had, regardless of the struggles you may be having. You can come here, more of God, less of me. Focus on Him, not on you. Praise God for who He is. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is Provider. He is every, He is your rock. Praise God for who He is. And then thank God for what He's done and what He's doing. Thank God for what He's done for you that week. Thank God for what He's done for you today. Thank God and praise God. And when you gather here in His name, and you do those things, then perhaps we can join David or the psalmist when he says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us. And we are his we are his people the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name you praise him for who he is for the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations and all God's people said amen let me pray with you father I pray that you'll help us all to focus more on on real worship, on having an encounter with you rather than coming to church on Sunday. Help us to sing to you and not just about you. To sing words of praise and words of thanksgiving to you. Help us to express it from our heart and not just from our head. And I pray, even in this time of of invitation, it'll be more than the closing song. But may it be an opportunity, Lord, for us, whether we come to this altar or whether we meet you at the pew, but may it be a time where we meet with you. Perhaps we meet with you here at the altar and just lay our burdens down, or meet you here at the altar and trust you as our Savior, or meet you here at the altar and And ask for your help in something we're facing. But may each of us live this way. That there is more of God. And less of us. Help us to worship you. In spirit and in truth. And I pray that in Jesus name. Amen.